Good morning, church. Great to see you all. I'm Greg Paris. So glad you've joined us today. Thanks for uh, braving, braving a little rain this morning. If you've joined us online, welcome to you. We're thrilled you've joined us. Welcome. So good to have you. Last week, I preached a message on sex, gender, and marriage, obviously a hot topic in our current culture. I warned you that I was going to do it again today, and apparently the warning worked. I see a lot of empty seats here this morning, so that's uh, understandable. If, uh, if it didn't sit well with you, I can understand why that might be true. But today, I, I want to continue it, and, and the theme I want to base the whole message on is to stop and think. Stop and think. Stop and think. And I hope I'll help you, encourage you to do that today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans 12. I'm going to read the first two verses there. And this is the Apostle Paul, of course, writing to the church in Rome. And I think there's application. Our custom is to stand to honor the loving authority of God's word in our lives. And so... I have, I have my original Bible with me today. It is not in the right version. And so I'm going to have to read this off the screen. See how, my, <laughs> see how my glasses are working. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you. Um, <laughs> so nice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everyone say renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. This is the word of God for the people of God. You say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks so much. This is not a political speech. This is not a social activist speech. This is a biblical sermon with theological emphasis. This is primarily an attempt to help people who are part of the Christian faith to understand a biblical worldview on certain issues related to sex gender, and marriage. I also hope to assist you in your ability to lovingly and effectively articulate your convictions uh, when you're speaking with others. Let me begin by saying this. Too few, too few in today's church have an appreciation for church history and the great scholars of history and the other saints who have held to orthodox beliefs over the centuries. Few have very little understanding of the process of textual criticism and particularly of the faith of the early church fathers and mothers. To dismiss the beliefs and faith of the saints who have gone before us requires, in my opinion, an almost incomprehensible arrogance, intellectual arrogance, spiritual arrogance. Rather, and this is a summary statement now, we must attach ourselves to these ancient truths. We must cling to them, adhere to them. Now I want you to think, stop and think. 
civilization believed and practiced certain truths in the categories of sex and gender and marriage, practiced certain truths for 6,000 years. And now, in the last 14 seconds of human history, relatively, in this generation, we're going to change all of the rules, all of the definitions regarding human sexuality, gender, and the fundamental structure of the family. So if we believe that, we say, yeah, we know better than thousands of years of history, and we know better because somehow we're more evolved, we're more astute, we're more, we're, more, we're more clever, we're more wise, we're more discerning. We know better than all of those who have come before us in 2,000 years in the history of the church. And that makes sense to us. Or to say it another way in another tone, that makes sense to us? Seriously. This is my Bible. This is the, a Bible that was given to me over 50 years ago when I first became a Christian. He was given to me by a friend. You can see that uh, I, I wore it pretty good. This is the Bible I used to carry with me when I would go to other places and preach. Uh, you know, the cover has come off. Uh, this, this Bible is well-worn. There are lots of pages where I have underlined and notes scribbled in the margins, that sort of thing. That's perfectly legitimate to do. I have a preacher Bible it's, it's real fancy and clean, and that's the one I hold up most Sundays. This is not that. This is, my, this is my original Bible. It's a New American Standard translation. It has a scar on the front here. This is uh, when, when Beth and I were younger, I was preaching in another church, and for some reason she wanted me to catch her purse. She's going to throw her purse to me, and I was going to catch it, which I did, and I set it down on my Bible, and somehow the lid on the perfume came off, and it leaked through the bottom of the purse and, and stained my Bible. But it reminds me of her, so <laughs> it's all good. That's my Bible. Remember last year we studied the Bible. We spent 31 weeks talking about the biblical narrative in chronological order. Do you remember the five movements contained in the Bible? The first one is paradise. This is the Garden of Eden. This is God's original design, God's vision for humanity, creates Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve rejected God's vision for the world, and so the fall occurred, and then the flood came, and then the Tower of Babel, and people were dispersed in the world. Then the, then the, the, the Israeli faith, the Jewish faith came into being. God called a man named Abraham, and so for the rest of the Old Testament, we see the story of Israel. It's a dramatic story. It has, it has a founder, Abraham. It has a... It has a preserver, a guy named Joseph. It has a deliverer, a guy named Moses, and all the priests and the kings and the prophets and the judges and this story of Israel. The third movement, you remember, is the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus. And in the Gospels, we find that story. And then the last half of the New Testament, we find the story of the first century church, the New Testament church. And finally, the fifth movement, which is the chronological narrative of the scripture, is a return to a place called paradise. Only now it's not a garden called Eden, but now it's a place called heaven where God will for sure fulfill his ultimate vision for you and me, which is to spend eternity with all of us in a perfect place. And so we learned the story of the Bible. This story, this word of God, which we have learned, has been passed on to me and to all of us and I want you to know that I intend to pass it on to the next generation exactly the way I received it. 
I have held to these truths now for 52 years, and I will do so, God being my helper, until the day I die. I believe the Bible true and trustworthy for both what we believe and how we live. And that's my intention. My commission then, my mandate, my admonition to the next generation is very simple. Now it's your turn. It's your turn. And my question is, will you continue the tradition of orthodox truth or will you agree with postmodern, post-Christian progressives who think that truth is no longer absolute, but rather individualized and fluid depending on the mores, the whims, and the opinions of this generation? I will warn you that if you side with the progressive voices of contemporary culture, you are concluding that this generation is finally the one who figured all of this out and everyone else in all of recorded history has been wrong about these basic understandings of human sexuality. My personal perspective is that I'm not going to bet on this generation of progressive thinkers. I'm not going to conclude that all of church history is corrupt, that all of the church fathers and mothers for the past thousands of years were all wrong. I ask the question, what about the early creeds? What about the ecumenical councils? What about the church fathers? People like Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther and Augustine and Ignatius and St. Francis of Assisi and John Wesley and Polycarp, and I could spend the next hour going through the list of faithful men and women who clung to the Orthodox faith and passed it on successfully to the next generation. Today's postmodern progressive culture has become Rambo in the jungle. Here's what I mean. You don't want any historical perspective. No one wants any accountability or larger community or mentorship, nor the counsel of the church fathers and mothers of history. As a result, today's culture has concluded that your opinion, my opinion, every opinion is valid. And today, in the midst of this message, I want to ask you to stop and think. Stop and think. Use your, use your brain. Let me put this statement on the screen. What you think about God has everything to do with how you will live your life. That is a true statement. What you think about God has everything to do with how you will live your life. The Roman governor Pontius Pilate, on the night of the trial of Jesus Christ, asked Jesus a simple question that has been asked continuously ever since. When he asked Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? Another statement on the screen. Past generations look to God and the Bible for determining morality and truth. Past generations always believed that you had to look outside of yourself, outside of yourself for absolute truth, to namely God and the Bible. That's how we determined what was moral and immoral. That's how we've determined what is right and what is wrong. That is how we've come to the conclusion of what is moral and what is true. A new study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University shows that 58% now, 58% of Americans no longer believe you have to look to God or the Bible to know the truth about life. That's about 60% now of American public who do not believe there is absolute truth as revealed in the Bible. It is now up to the individual to decide what is true and moral. Your opinion, my opinion, Everyone's opinion is of equal value. The study also indicated 
found that 46% of evangelicals, now evangelicals in the culture are those by definition who believe what the Bible teaches. These are folks, I consider myself an evangelical, who believe the Bible truths I've just explained. They also, 46% equally, are likely to reject absolute moral truth. Houston, we have a problem. Instead, now, we trust our heart. I trust my heart. I follow my gut. I let my feelings help me decide what is right and wrong. I think this. I feel that. I believe the other. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. (laughs) I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. When Beth and I, my wife Beth and I, were in Florida in February on a popular walking trail, we saw full-grown adults pushing their little dogs around in baby strollers. (laughs) If you are a person within the sound of my voice, I'm sure there's no one here, who is pushing your little dog around in a baby stroller and eating tofu, I want you to listen. Listen to me. I mean, come back to me right now. If you've been daydreaming and you're one of those tofu eaters, listen. Listen to me. Listen. Linda, listen. We have to think biblically and therefore logically instead of emotionally. We have to put our thinking caps on. God wants us to think, not just feel about these things. Look on the screen with me. Our feelings should subject themselves to what is true rather than developing your worldview based on how you feel. That's where our name in goes. Think about that. Our feelings should subject themselves to what is true. Isaiah 118 says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Translation, come on, let's argue this out. We need to live biblically. We need to figure this out. Stop and think. Here's another statement from Romans, our text, chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop and think. The Phillips translation there says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And that's what's happening, isn't it? We're living in a time when so much of our culture is living out of alignment with what God says, and it seems to be moving in the wrong direction faster than any time I can remember in my lifetime. So now we have men identifying as women, women identifying as men, literally ruining women's sports and women's spaces and the very definition of what a woman is. This is the the classic question now being asked in our culture. What is a woman? I can answer the question very easily. It is an adult human female. An adult human female. That's a woman. That's a woman. Some companies have tried to normalize this, even profit from it. Companies like Nike, Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light. So far, it's not working out so well for them. Even in our schools, we have teachers indoctrinating our children and then having the audacity to say the parents should stay out of it. Parents should not stay out of it. We are the ones who should determine what our children believe. Washington... Washington just passed a law that privatizes a child's right to, quote, gender-altering treatments without parental consent. 
And you say, you're just being hyperbolic. No, it's, it's actually happening. In California, there's a new law that states if the parents do not use the child's preferred pronouns, the parents can be arrested, thrown in jail, and have their children taken from them. That's not really going to happen, is it? It's the law. Let me just remind you, this is America, and we have freedoms in this country. And with those freedoms come privileges, and also with them come responsibilities. And so last week I suggested that we all need to stand up for Jesus, and not only do we need to stand up for Jesus, we also need to speak up. Somebody needs to say these things. Someone needs to draw a line in the sand and say, no, no, we're not playing along. We've tried to be nice. We've tried to be complimentary. We've tried to be gracious. But that's just about all of that we're going to take. And we have to speak up. It is very important that we speak up and let our voices be heard. Now, let me just challenge you for a moment. There are tens, listen, there are tens of millions of self-professed Christians in this country who are not registered to vote, nor do they vote. It is the height of irresponsibility. I can't think of a a more irresponsible posture to be in than to be a full-grown adult who follows Jesus, but you don't activate the gift of God, which is your opportunity to to cast your vote in a free society. You should stand up and be counted. So shame, you know, this isn't a middle school slumber party where you can just go through life all haphazard like that. God expects you to be a grown-up. And part of being an adult follower of Jesus, a fully formed follower of Jesus, is to be a responsible person in the context of your community, your larger culture. So come on. Seriously, get your act together. What is, what is transgender? I looked it up. Anyone can find the definition. A transgender person is someone whose gender is different than the one they were assigned at birth. That's today's definition. When you're questioning your gender, it is often referred to as gender dysphoria or gender disassociation. This is a person who struggles in their mind to believe about themselves, think about themselves, feel about themselves, uh, their biological gender. I was uh, on YouTube the other day, and, and the logarithm, in my case, sent me a little excerpt from a Dr. Phil, recent Dr. Phil episode, and this featured a young woman, she's 20 years old, and she was sitting on the dais there with some other medical professionals around her, and this young woman suffers from body part dysphoria. She disassociates, in her case, with her own eyeballs and their their ability to give her vision. And so in her mind, she has always believed about herself that she wasn't intended to be a person with sight. She believed that she would be more fully her authentic self if she was blind. And so she actually took acid and blinded herself. She's sitting on the dais there. She's got dark sunglasses on, and she's got a a blind walking stick. She's 20 years old. Some of the medical personnel in this episode were near tears. They could not comprehend this young woman had done this to herself. They reminded the audience that they've taken a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. Now here's this woman who's harmed herself in this kind of way. And it was just 
impossible for anyone to get their mind around it. Listen, it makes perfect sense to me in a culture that says, listen, if your brain tells you that you're not this or that, you know, there's, there's body part disassociation where folks feel like they, they would be their, their authentic self if they didn't have their right arm. If someone would just cut off my right arm, then I could be my true self. I just feel like it's just a, a worthless appendage. It's a burden to me to have my right arm. What do the psychological sciences say about a person who disassociates like this? They say, this person needs to be retrained. We need to help them in their mind because there's something wrong with a person who don't think they need their right arm. It, when, a, when a baby is born and they are, are missing an arm, what do we say? We say, something went wrong. Because God's design for a human being is for them to have two arms and two legs. And if they don't have all their parts, then we know something went wrong. And so if you have an adult now who doesn't think they should have a right arm, what we can conclude is that there's something wrong. And so people are not thinking as they should. And so they need help. And they're suffering and they need help. And so the psychological sciences and the medical community will say, let's retrain that person to think differently about their right arm or their own eyes so that they can see. Or we might even give them some medications to help them. But someone, even a child in our culture now, five, six, seven-year-old child who says, you know, I'm, I was born in the wrong body. I was born a little boy, but I think I'm a little girl. And immediately the response is, well, let's help that little person take drugs right now so that they'll be permanently sterilized. And we'll, we'll, we'll surgically remove their breasts or their genitals so they'll feel better about themselves. You tell me what is wrong with this picture. Stop and think. Is it just me? Stop and think. What is, what, what is going on? Maybe I'm a man even though I was born as a woman. No, no. You are a man or you are a woman. There is no little boys who were meant to be little girls. There are no little girls who were meant to be little boys. Human sexuality is binary. There are only two genders. There are not three. There are not 10. There are not 50. There are not 100. There are two. There is male and there is female. And God created you as you, as you are. Now, there's a whole spectrum within male and a whole spectrum within female. There are, there are in, the, in the male spectrum, there are these high testosterone, manly men, you know, on one end. And there are, there are men that have more effeminate female characteristics on the other end. There's a whole spectrum. That's okay. God, God made men and God made females. And there's a whole spectrum there. There are women who are, who are very... Ultra, ultra soft and compassionate all the time and, and, and all of those qualities. And then there are women on the other end of the spectrum who, are, who have male characteristics and they're, and they're a little strong. My wife, for example, was a tomboy growing up. We started dating when we were 16 years old. The reason I started dating her were for two primary reasons. One is because she was so darn cute. And the other reason is because she was so, t- so darn tough. I thought, if I date her, if a fight breaks out, she can protect me. <laughs> and I, let me just say, that's worked out beautifully now for 46 years. She's not messing around. I wouldn't mess with me. Not in her presence. She'll, she'll, she'll handle you. I'm afraid of her. I'm not lying. He's just saying that to make his point. No. 
It's the truth. I wouldn't. Well, you say that there are only two genders. Well, that's just your opinion. No, it's not. Because my opinion is no important than anyone else's opinion. It's, a, it's God's opinion, and his opinion is the only one that matters. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. I'll put this on the screen for you. He created them male and female. Do you see a third option there? He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. So this is God's plan, regardless of how you might choose to identify. And my heart goes out, especially to these impressionable young people where there are adults pushing this onto little children. This, I can't, this troubles me so deeply. I, I find it, I find it outrageous that any adult in any capacity trying to convince a child, a prepubescent child, that they're in the wrong body, they have the wrong gender, who does that? That's outrageous. That's, that's more than abusive in my mind. This is wicked. It's wicked. It's wrong on every level. Shame, shame. Shame on you. I have a friend who had a sibling who was transgender. My friend described to me the lifelong struggle that their sibling experienced all the way to the end of their life. My friend's sibling was born a girl, female, but she always struggled. My friend told me stories from the, from the time she was just a, a tiny little girl. She was confused about her gender identity. You know, classic case of gender dysphoria. And that she suffered all the way through her life until she finally transitioned at, at, at some point, married, unfortunately developed a disease and died. And my friend told me lots of details about the story. Now I'm going to tell you something that you, some of you may not believe. But the result of hearing that story, uh, God used as a gift to me. There are people in the world, and most of us are in this category, we're sympathetic. We have experienced pain in our lives, and so when you hear the story of another person, you have sympathy for that person because you can imagine that they're suffering pain as well. You know pain, and so you can imagine they have pain because of those circumstances they've experienced, and so you're sympathetic toward them. I'm a sympathetic person. I can rationalize people's pain because I understand pain. There are other people who, who actually not only sympathize, but they empathize with others. And this is a wonderful quality. This is the quality that many people have, that they not only understand the pain someone else is going through, they feel the pain that someone is going through. This, this, is, a, this is a beautiful expression of the love and compassion of God that emanates in, through people from person to person. And so, so I know people who are especially, my wife Beth is very empathetic. She, 
you know, when the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, boy, that just comes so easy to her. And I mean, she can feel people's joy and pain immediately. And it's a beautiful thing. And empathy is that quality that so many folks have to actually feel the pain of another person, feel it themselves internally, they, they, emotionally, psych- they feel the pain. There are, there are especially gifted people that I know who also typically have a gift of intercession, you know, a supernatural gift of God to pray for other people. And not only are these people typically empathetic, but they sometimes have associated spiritual gifts as well, like a discerning of spirits or a word of knowledge, these kinds of spiritual gifts that allows a person to have a special awareness of the facts of another person's life without even interviewing that person. This is God knows, and so God just downloads the information into these folks so that they can be more effective in their intercessory prayer. And I call these people empathic intercessors because some sometimes when they're in the presence of another person, if you haven't said, you know, uh, my, my child is wayward, you haven't said that to them, but they discern it, and, and they feel the pain that you feel, and they pray in a very effective way because of that. It's a very powerful gift, but it's also a painful way to live because you're constantly feeling the pain of other people. After my friend left, having told me the story of their sibling, the gift that God gave me is that he allowed me to feel the pain of that person. That's a little unusual for me. And so I sat in my office and I wept. I wept for several minutes. Because what is the pain? What is the confusion of a person who suffers this way? What is the hopelessness? What is the loneliness? Of course, it's profound. And so our response is just to try to love people the best we can in their suffering. And to get them the help they need. There's a question is asked, what is going on in our culture right now? What's really happening? What does all this mean? All these manifestations of these shifts and definitions and lifestyles and practices and expectations. What does it all mean? Well, I believe it's all just a search for God. Every generation goes through this. I mean, no matter your age, at a certain point in your life, you begin to wonder, why am I here? What is life about? Uh, Has God made me the way I am? And does he have purpose? Does he have a plan for me? Do I have, should I have a sense of destiny about that? And should I expect that, that God wants to be in, intricately involved in my life or no? And we all have to come to terms with that. And so what's happening right now in our culture is just the emerging generation's attempt to find God and to find ultimate meaning for their life. And so these generations are on a search for God, but unfortunately, culture is giving them all the wrong answers. It's not helpful. They think something, as they're being told, will fix this. If I have a special surgery, then I'll, I'll be all fixed. If I use this unique drug, then I'll be all fixed and I'll be happy. If I have a certain experience, then this will make me whole and I'll be a 
whole person. This isn't a search, though, for something. This is a search for someone. Don't you understand? This is a search for ultimate meaning. Now, let me put one more statement on the screen. No one ever discovers their true identity, their true self, their true purpose in this world apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as it turns out, Jesus is the one who made you. He, he knew you before there was even a single day in your life. He has designed a plan and ultimate purpose for your existence in the world. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he's ordained every one of your days before there was one of them. This is what the Bible teaches. And so you can be encouraged to know that whatever level of confusion you have about whatever the subject is, that the answer is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he will meet you right where you are, having made you exactly the way you are and take you from that place into purposeful, fulfilling places. You're not looking for something. You're looking for someone and his name is Jesus. Can you hear me? That's where I want to leave this today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word, which lamps our feet and lights our way. We thank you that it's still possible to look outside of ourselves to find ultimate meaning and ultimate truth. And so, Lord, give us the, give us the humility and the grace and the wisdom we need to receive the love you offer, the loving authority of your word, and of all of those voices in history who help us understand the way and to walk in it. I pray now for anyone within the sound of my voice today who realize perhaps today for the first time that the search that they've been on is ultimately a search for you. And so, Lord, make yourself real to every person within the sound of my voice. Meet them at the point of their need, no matter how how frightened, how confused, how disoriented they might be. We thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life. So let your light shine, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?